0: And I'm here to support you in doing that. Just go to thinkunbroken.com to register for a free coaching call with me and to get put on the wait list for the brand new weekly coaching program. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments,
1: not minutes. Like the moment your work stress disappears as you kayak through the canyons. Or the moment you discover the life-changing effects of prickly pear chocolate. But nothing beats the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the very first time. (sighs) Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com.
0: Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Hey, my friends. We will be right back to the show. But I have a question for you. Are you struggling with the impact of childhood trauma? Well, know that you're not alone. What's up, Unbroken Nation? Hello, my friends. I'm Michael Unbroken, host of the Think Unbroken podcast and founder of thinkunbroken.com. And I'm honored to be your trauma coach and mentor because I believe that everyone is capable of getting unstuck, cultivating self-love, and becoming the hero of their own story. I believe that when implemented correctly, the practical tools and education you will receive from this show will help you lead an unbroken and extraordinary life. I believe that no matter what we come from, that we all have the ability to choose ourselves first, to create and manifest a powerful and grace-filled future, and love the reflection in the mirror. I believe that every day is a day to grow, learn, heal, and change. That's why I started my company, ThinkUnbroken.com, which is an online training and healing and personal growth platform where you get everything that I know about how to get motivated, be accountable, get out of the vortex, and become the hero of your own story through community, connection, and commitment. For more information, visit thinkunbroken.com. Please listen closely as you may learn just one thing that will help you be unbroken. And please share this episode with at least three of your friends because we all need community and connection in our healing journey. And be sure to DM me and tag me on Instagram at michaelunbroken so that I can say hi. I just wanna thank you again for being a part of this, for listening and being a member of the Unbroken Nation. Now let's get into today's show and make the world unbroken. Hey, what's up, Unbroken Nation? Hope that you're doing well wherever you are in the world. I hope that you're having an amazing day. And I'm joined by the amazing Melanie Wellner, who is going to help us understand something that I think might actually change your life. Melanie, my friend, how are you today?
1: I'm really well, thank you. How are you, Michael?
0: (laughs) Yeah, I'm super good. I'm, I'm stoked to have you on because... I have studied so much about your expertise, understanding the vagus nerve, understanding the, the way that our parasympathetic and sympathetic nervous systems work and the whole functions of body top to bottom. I think this is a beautiful opportunity to go deep before doing that. I would love to know about Melanie. Who are you? How'd you get here? What was your journey? Tell us about yourself.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I'll say at the, uh, as I specialize in treating the vagus nerve as a pinched nerve, I will say that this is all about figuring out my own vagus nerve and where it's pinched. And I can say that very clearly in hindsight, I was an athletic trainer in college, majored in athletic training, worked as an athletic trainer for a little while after college and went to physical therapy school. So I've been working with people's bodies for the better part of 30 years, really. And In doing so, one of the things that I really noticed very early on, especially in my once I was finished with physical therapy school, because I ended up working with people who had not found success in other places that their symptoms didn't fit inside of a box, they hadn't responded to other treatments. And this was very much a piece of my own journey, like when I had uh, you know, if I had back pain or had vertigo and things like that, it never really fit inside the box. <laughs> was And I was just very fortunate to work with really brilliant clinicians who regularly thought outside the box so that when I ran into issues, I was really able to um, it, I had the help there to mitigate them so that I I can really see very easily how I took steps down the road to become one of my more complicated patients at times. (laughs) And in the midst of branding myself as a stress management expert and having my own practice, my life really and my body really started falling apart, too. So I've really had to live this whole stress mitigation thing. And I've learned a lot about myself along the way and and a lot of and really came to understand my clients at a deeper level through that as well. When I was little or young child, my Um, I have very, very good parents that were well-intentioned, but I didn't really have a voice at home. And they, uh, my dad had a very traumatic childhood, spent some time in an orphanage. My uh, mom lost her dad and her sister when she was young and had a lot of unresolved grief. And I really absorbed a lot of that as a child and was, uh, didn't feel like I had a voice. And even when I uh, sang in the church choir, the youth choir instructor would not let me sing. She used to make me mouth the words. And, uh, And here I am specializing in the nerve that innervates the vocal cords. And so it's really all about, it's been this very full circle thing to, find my own voice and uh, and I so appreciate you sharing your platform to allow me to do that
0: yeah of course it's my honor you know I, I think that one of the the greatest things that you can do when you have an understanding about something is to share it you know I, I feel in in some sense an obligation to have conversations like this knowing, that I invested the better part of a decade and God knows how much money in learning and understanding these things in the same way as you so that I could heal or understand better my own problems and facilities. And and with doing so, I think about this idea that, okay, how do we take our knowledge and information and spread it at scale to create vast impact? And there's no other better platform for this. And so for, if anything, I'm grateful. What I'm so curious about, and I think about the understanding, the correlation and many aspects of the vagus nerve and the the role that it plays and the frenetic chaos that can exist within our physical body Mm -hmm. before we get there, I think that it would be very pertinent to, to pause and to have the conversation about what is the vagus nerve, because I'm going to tell you right now, people listening right now are like, what the hell are you talking about?
1: Absolutely. So your vagus nerve is your 10th cranial nerve. And that just means that it starts in your brainstem. There are 12 cranial nerves that come out of our brainstem. And I'm going to give you a very, the vagus nerve does lots and lots of things. It is the biggest component of your parasympathetic nervous system, which is your grace under pressure, your calm, your rest and digest, and it's pleasure also. And most of us are familiar when our vagus nerve isn't working so well, and our fight and flight systems have taken over. When we go to do public speaking or something that makes us similarly nervous, and we get a lump in our throats and our palms sweat and our hearts race and our stomachs feel funny, because those are all vagus nerve mediated functions. And when we get nervous, our vagus nerve gets dialed down and our fight and flight gets dialed up. The vagus nerve comes as it comes out of your brainstem, it goes down to innervate your heart, and then it loops back up to innervate your vocal cords. So I like to think of it as the nerve that allows us to speak our hearts. It continues down through the diaphragm and innervates the digestive system. So it innervates the muscles of the digestive system, as well uh, as it, it also mediates vitamin B12 absorption, uh, digestive enzyme and bile secretion. In women, it goes into the cervix. And uh, as I mentioned earlier, it mediates sweating, it mediates inflammation. It's in all of your senses, it innervates the skin of your ear canal, it innervates your tongue. Uh, it's involved in smell though, the last research I read on that, they're not sure exa- they know it's connected, they just don't know the exact, they haven't figured out the exact mechanism yet uh, it's involved in with your eyes. And so it's really uh, the piece of your body that your vagus nerve isn't in uh, is your adrenal glands. So, you know, which are certainly uh, uh, involved in our fight and flight responses.
0: Yeah, and, and it's everywhere, right? And It's everywhere. And, mm-hmm. and, and I think that, One of the things that is done very poorly, especially in Western American society, is education and understanding our actual physical bodies as human beings who are in these all day. It is absolutely shocking to me that people know more about the inner workings of a mechanical vehicle than they do about the machine that they're walking in around all day. And and so as I sit and I think about that, now, yes, given you've said all this, but what does it really do? (laughs) (laughs)
1: Right. So I say the same thing. We know more about our cars than we do about our bodies. And the it's so your vagus nerve, it really keeps you calm, it reduces inflammation, it's it is it makes you feel good. It does all the things that make you feel good.
0: Yeah, and and how does it do that?
1: Well, it uses the same. Well, I'll give a couple different answers to this a lot of what your brain does is called descending inhibition. So if you think about, uh, like, if you know somebody that's had a stroke or a severe brain injury, and that maybe they have extra muscle tone and say they have a hard time straightening out their arm since the injury because and that their elbow might be flexed and their wrist might be flexed up close to their body. And when you have a stroke, you lose the you lose the descending inhibition. And so then you get extra your muscle tone escalates, it goes way up. And so there's nothing to dampen it. So your vagus nerve does a lot of dampening. But it also does a lot of um, you know, so if you in terms of inflammation, like, you know, when, you know, whether it's through injury or eating something inflammatory, your vagus nerve is going to dampen the inflammation to try and take care of it. And so it's really a, um, uh, the piece that like once it's really your threat recovery, you know, from a trauma standpoint, it's like, once you've had the fight and flight and you've finished that part of the stress, it's what calms you down from that. It uses the neurotransmitter acetylcholine, which is the same neurotransmitter that your muscles use. And as a physical therapist, that was really part of my attraction to addressing it as a pinched nerve in the first place, because you get these very beautiful musculoskeletal shifts with it.
0: And, and so with understanding that, and and I think there'll be a lot of people who are like me fascinated with it, and will take the deep dive. And part of my experience with it was how do I learn to to regulate this or at least understand how to not aggravate it? Now, before we get there, I think it'd be really important to ask this question, especially because people are listening who are seeking something particular here. What is the correlation between trauma, whether that be physical, mental, emotional, i.e. abuse in youth or accidents or whatever that thing may be. And the correlation with the impact that the vagus nerve has on on regulation.
1: So the well, a lot of the research around the vagus nerve, and certainly the polyvagal theory that Stephen Porges has brought forward is focuses a lot on how stress and trauma basically leave us in a state of fight or flight and that we're not able to get into that more relaxed that calmer state we know through that research that trauma always affects the voice and the breath and your vocal cords and your diaphragm are horizontally oriented in the body your diaphragm is the muscle that you breathe with and when people nobody experiences stress or trauma of any kind, whether it's physical, mental, emotional, and has really beautiful arm swing when they walk, we all lock up our trunks lock up. And so we really embody trauma on our transverse plane on the plane on which we rotate, we embody trauma in rotation, or through lack of rotation. So what I've developed over the years is this system of evaluating rotation, head to toe in the body. And it's been real amazing to me. Uh, and I'm, and I really want to take this to research it on a bigger scale, how when I see people that are really severely locked up at multiple joints in rotation, And I ask them if they're having suicidal thoughts, or if they've, uh, you know, how their mental health state is, the answer is always either yes, I'm in having suicidal ideation or suicidal thoughts, sometimes suicidal planning, or I feel like I'm dying on the inside.
0: Hey, what's up Unbroken Nation? Michael here. I just wanted to take a moment and invite you to the Think Unbroken Community Coaching Sessions. We start these sessions at the beginning of every month and we take a deep dive into the baseline and frameworks of what it means to get out of the vortex and become the hero of your own story through community, connection, commitment, and education. You can learn more about this at hilltraumacoach.com, where you can fill out an application and sign up for a trauma healing call with me or my team to see if the Think Unbroken community coaching sessions is right for you. That's at hilltraumacoach.com. We start at the beginning of every month. I cannot wait to see you there. And I'll be honest with you, if I'm not the right fit for you, we will help you find the person that can help you on your journey.
1: And so, so that, that's super fascinating
0: to me. How how does one make the hypothesis that those are somehow correlated? I'm curious about what you saw that led you to the place to go. Oh, I think there's actually something here.
1: So a number of years ago, I had a a patient walk in, and I got a phone call from a. Uh, industry colleague, she's uh, in the fitness industry here locally. And she called me up and said, my friend really needs you. Can you see him? Like, how soon can you see him? And it worked out that I was able to see him that day. And I, I didn't have any information on what was wrong with him. I figured he hurt his back or something like that. And so he comes into my office. And he had an acute situation where that left him in a hallucinogenic state. And he couldn't make eye contact with anyone because their faces were melting. And this had been going on for several days. And he had tried to get help in other ways, and he just couldn't get anybody to hear him, to listen to him, you know. And so uh, I listened to his whole story. You know, this was something that at the time I had zero experience in treating people that were in that kind of acute onset hallucinogenic state. And he uh, and so I contacted the psychiatrist that I know, you know, I was, you know, my initial response was like, Oh, this is not in my wheelhouse. But it was very clear to me that it was not the right thing to turn him away either. So I got him set up uh, with help outside of my office. And then and I said, Well, you know, I'm going to decompress your vagus nerve, while you're here. And we'll, um, you know, and hopefully that'll at least make you feel a little bit better. And he was, I would say that he was not even in vagus nerve decompression, he was in vagus nerve lockdown. And you wouldn't have imagined that his rotation was that limited based on how he walked. But as a physical therapist, one of the things that I know how to do is check people's uncompensated range of motion so I can tease out where they're cheating and where they're not cheating. And we are all masters of compensation. We are very, very clever beings and we will all take the path of least resistance for movement. So it was not so much like he was walking like Frankenstein or anything like that. You would have thought he was moving fairly normally when he walked. But when I went in and isolated his upper neck range of motion and his trunk range of motion and even looking at his hip rotation and his, uh, tibial rotation, which tibia is your shin bone. It was all gone. Like it was just minimal, minimal, minimal amounts of range of motion there. And I took him through my, I did all of my vagus nerve decompression techniques on him and I, uh, and I will say, I showed up not only with my technical skills, but I really showed up also with my softer intuitive skills. And it really taught me a lot about bringing all of myself to the table and not segmenting myself as a clinician or between my personhood and my clinicianhood, or between my soft and my hard skills, because that has been, a, a, I think, a, a challenge for me over the years. In terms of integrating those, but he at the end of our session, you know, an hour, hour and a half later, ninety percent of his hallucinations were gone, and he texted me later that night and said, "Melanie, you saved my life, and not in the cute kind of way. I was planning on killing myself tonight, and now I feel like I can go forward."
0: Uh, that's incredibly powerful, and, and especially when when you recognize the impact that just a physical element can have on the emotional and mental capacity that we have. I, I think it's probably a huge disservice that somehow we've separated the brain body connection in the way that we have in in, in this society.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I completely agree. I, in the last couple of months, I've taught the residents at a local hospital about how uh, mental health and the physical body and what I consider red flags.
0: I, I would love to know what those are because like knowing that this is primarily something that is a conversation geared towards mental health how do you know because i think there's red flags that you may notice within yourself that could be a causation of going okay there might be something here about me that i actually really need to like sess out what Mm -hmm. what would you consider to be a red flag
1: oh from uh From a patient standpoint, I would say maybe multiple joint pain, like it may not seem like a big deal, but just like some overall stiffness. So people with anxiety and often in depression, too, will really be limited at their necks. And so there'll be some limited neck range of motion, but it's not. but that in itself is not uh necessarily a red flag it's really about the combination of things so if your neck is tight and you're feeling like it can be hard to get a breath or like you have times where you're uh short of breath and you're otherwise healthy you're not somebody that has asthma or you know you're too young for and healthy for heart disease. You know, this is a difficult, uh, I'll say, I haven't really framed it this way. I take people, I know where we're on video, I could take people, I could, uh, uh, I can demonstrate some of the tests, you know, like the self assessment that I have people go through. But it's really, um, it, it's really about how you rotate. So it can be as simple as turning your head side to side and seeing how far you can go. If you turn your head, if you can turn your head comfortably to one side and then bring your ear towards your chest in that position you should go be able to flex forward 45 or 50 degrees if you hit a brick wall right at the top and you can barely bring your ear towards your chest that would be one small red flag or maybe one yellow flag. And then if you're looking at shoulder motion, like I, you can put your if you put your arms up like goalposts and rotate them down, you should be able to go about 70 degrees on each side, you know, and without bringing your shoulder blades up over the tops of your shoulders. And if you're, if you're not able to, you know, if you're only rotating 20 or 30 degrees down, and you don't have any shoulder pathology going on, I would consider that another red flag, if you give yourself a hug and with your weight, really, even on your sit bones and turn your uh, rotate your body side to side, you should be able to go at least 45 degrees, 60 degrees is considered normal, but I don't fuss too hard over 45 degrees. But if you are really having a hard time rotating in uh, those directions, that um, that is one way the the perhaps the easiest way to really uh, self assess this, though is is through breath. And so even if you just put one hand, I'll have you do this, and you can tell me how you feel with it. But if you put one hand on your over your heart, and take the other hand, and uh, try to put it uh, on the backside of your ribs, if you can get it to the backside of your heart, that's great. So just like the backside of your hand, and take a deep breath, take a couple deep breaths in that position. And tell me, uh, so do you feel how your ribs move your hand on the front of your chest when you breathe? Mm -hmm. What happens to your ribs on the back with your back hand?
0: They're also moving.
1: Okay, good. So a lot of people don't expand their ribs on the backside of their chest at all. Like on yeah, the backside of their ribs,
0: shallow breathing, right? And so it's, the, it is,
1: it's shallow breathing. It's it's upper chest breathing and it's, and it's no back breathing at all.
0: So the way that I discovered that for lack of a better term, my vagus nerve was out of whack was because I actually could not take a diaphragmatic breath, mm-hmm. meaning the biggest breath that I could took was let could take, excuse me, was less than two seconds as an inhale. And in that time, it freaked me out really bad because I knew that I was under this immense amount of stress and I knew that my life was kind of chaotic at the time and I just uprooted myself and I travel across the world and I was in this place where I was new and unfamiliar and stepping into a new trajectory and understanding and working through and navigating trauma and I recognized one day I was like I can't breathe and it was one of the most terrifying experiences that I had on the backside of that, it lasted for seven months. So someone listening right now, I know without question cannot take that breath. And all of the signs just based off of the self-assessment probably point to the idea that something is awry. How do you step into this place where you start to rectify and get back to what we would call normality or baseline in consideration of our human body?
1: At the very basic level i believe it's you know i think one you you there are very simple exercise breathing exercises you can do to give your vagus nerve more space and really just paying attention to your breath practicing breathing uh can be a huge thing i just tie, going back quickly to what you were saying about your limitation inhaling I guess for me that shows up more. I note more limitations exhaling. I I mm-hmm. time people. I find people's exhalations because they're, um, uh, like their uh, their lungs are overinflated. I think think it's at some level, but I in, I, at the in terms of just getting. Uh, the first step is really just to have a conversation with your body and to learn how your body says yes, and how your body says no, because by the time you're in any kind of physical pain, or anxiety, uh, or trauma response, your body is screaming no. And we do not have a language for communicating with our bodies. And I think, really just tapping in and knowing that you're you know, and not dismissing your body as, um, you know, your mind is a very slippery liar. Your body really holds your truth.
0: Yeah. And, and how do you start to, you know, I, I think that there are people right now who have been, I know, I don't think I know this, that, that there are people who have been impacted by, by traumatic experiences on, on multiple levels in mm-hmm. so many ways. That that this sounds incredibly foreign, right? Yeah. Because they're they're just now getting to this place where they're even assessing that there may be something wrong. Now, understanding that this nerve, that the vagus nerve, can play such a huge role in re- in recovery, is what I will label this at this time. Where do you really begin, right? Because I, I think that you you must have people who walk into you off the street, no idea what's going on. Their body is always in sympathetic. They are freaking out constantly and they just need relief, but they don't understand the impact of of the past and and how, if it is true, which I believe it is, that we are the sum total of all of our experiences leading to this moment, how then do you hit the pause button and go, okay, I need to revamp this. I need to understand what's going on. I need support here.
1: Well, so the difference... So I have this is where the soft skills really come in. And I I think are really magical because the difference between acute subacute pain and chronic pain, and I would extend this to any chronic way of being that we embody or any chronic limiting belief is that chronic situations get locked into our limbic systems, which is where our emotions are. And you cannot logic yourself out of your limbic system, you need a story or you need an emotional key to unlock the chronic situation from your brain and so i use a lot of storytelling and and i've and this is part of a bigger system that i believe is held by the vagus nerve and is really at the end of the day how the cosmos is coded into us and that you don't have to be you know, I can technical speak vagus nerve stuff all day long, and I think it's amazing, and it gets me excited. But it's really, for most people, it is absolutely boring. And so, when people are, and so our bodies hold stress in very predictable ways in general. Some of us, uh, you know, most of us will hold, yeah, we'll just hold it really predictably. And so when the if we think about what uh like if your anxiety and your stress your trauma shows up in your head and neck you know if part of uh your symptoms are that you get anxiety and neck pain with your uh with your stress and trauma then you can think about where your heroics and your desires are at odds with each other like where is like the head you know like those like the head would be where like we wear our crown or where we'd wear our uh you know the like the knight's armor like that lead you know where we lead from and where are your heroics and your desires that you speak from your throat where are they at odds with each other and in the midst of my own um midlife crisis, I really just discovered uh, how incredibly specifically, stress lives in the body. But I will back up before I go into this and say that when people are really overwhelmed, very often, the only thing that I will do is put my hand on the backside of their heart, their life, they're laying on my table, or, for example, if they're seeing me in person, I work with people online too. But I will just have them breathe into the backside of their heart. And it can be just very simple and very powerful. And I will tell them about my favorite proverb from a tribe in the Andes Mountains that says your future is behind you propelling you forward. And your past is in front of you, waiting for you to make peace with it. And clear your way and that i want you to really breathe into your future you are held the universe has your back
0: did you know that you can sponsor an episode of the think unbroken podcast all you have to do is visit thinkunbrokenpodcast.com and there's a little coffee icon down there at the bottom of the screen or you can click the sponsor an episode link and your name will go on the sponsored list for sponsors of the Think Unbroken podcast. One of the things you may not know is that this is an internal podcast. There's no major sponsors. Coca-Cola doesn't sponsor us. We don't get the Joe Rogan endorsement. We're over here trying to create massive change in the world. And I cannot do it alone. And I need your help. So if you have the ability please visit thinkunbrokenpodcast.com, help sponsor an episode, and we will put your name on the sponsorship list where everyone can see your contribution to the Unbroken Nation. My friend, I appreciate it so much. I wanna continue to make these shows and bring tremendous value to your life, to our world, and to the Unbroken Nation, but I cannot do it alone. If you have the ability, please visit thinkunbrokenpodcast.com and sponsor an episode. All right, my friends,
1: and that very, very simple thing does a lot to, to to calm people down. I will, I can amplify how well that exercise works by adding some other positioning with the exercise. But if somebody is really stressed out, one, I will just have them bring their attention to their breath and use and give them a physical cue like that with my hand on the back of their heart, I uh, will also ask, ask them to tell me what their soul looks like. And I've had many people that have been able to mitigate their panic attacks by developing their relationship with their soul. And when they're standing in their soul, and you know, and they have this idea about what he or she looks like. They're really able to mitigate that, and it does amazing things for the vagus nerve. It never ceases to amaze me how uh, how powerful those relatively simple and seemingly non clinical approaches really are for people. So, why like, that,
0: why? I, I'm so curious, and I have to ask this why is there such an incredible impact of having that kind of emotional release on stress tension anxiety depression vagus nerve the the entirety of us as a human being mm-hmm. what what happens in that moment that you think you could pinpoint and go this is why
1: i i think you you see yourself as bigger than your physical body i think that it you see yourself at a truer level, and you step out of your own story.
0: Imagine that must be pretty uncomfortable for most people. Yeah.
1: Well, it often comes with some tears, for sure. Uh, Sometimes it comes with a little bit of anger, too. But all of the leading pain science experts will tell you that they get really excited when somebody cries or gets angry when they explain pain to them because they know they're going to get better.
0: Mm. And yeah, so fascinating.
1: I see that as a really positive thing that we're moving the way the physical body is storing the trauma when you get that emotional release.
0: Yeah. And and I think for so many people, myself included, like that emotional release was very much about stepping through the fear of being an emotional human being, which is, is is such a hard it, like like saying it now is very easy. but in the moment, you know, eight, nine years ago, especially when I started doing intensive body work, like having these moments of like allowing the freedom to be a human being is often very uncomfortable. And so I, I think that's really beautiful that you're finding that people are having that experience with you because that's taking a step into humanity,
1: oh, absolutely. And you you know, we are sentient beings. And I think that intuition is the thing that we're all really missing. And that our, uh, you know, all for all of our amazing scientific developments, we've just forgotten about how, uh, like about our feelings, and not just even in the emotional part, but just in how our body communicates with the bigger picture. And that really happens through the vagus nerve. The research shows that when solar and space weather disrupt the electromagnetic field of the earth, it is measurable in our vagus nerves, and the extent to which it's disruptive, is dependent on the strength of your interpersonal connections.
0: Yeah, I I mean, I believe that I mean, I, I would have to read the research to go, yes, that sounds true. I will take your word for it as an expert. But part of me goes, yes, of course, I believe that because why not? Like in reality, I often think about this, Melanie, and, and this isn't to go totally left field, but the fact that we're even alive is incredible. So why is it not plausible that that could hold true? And then on the backside of that, I, I think about w- when people come into this place in which they're, they're ready to step into a new understanding of who they, who they are, it's almost like a reclaiming of humanity. When, when you are in this and you notice that people do the work and they step into now, wow, I've noticed that I can breathe again. Anxiety is less impactful. I've done the things I'm spending time. I mean, I feel like it just holds true that we become more in tune with who we are.
1: Absolutely, yeah. And the body is in the cosmos, that bigger picture is literally mimicked in our bodies, through our anatomy and through our like even down at the cellular level, and ancient myths, tell us the story of our anatomy and physiology, and are so valuable in terms of uh, seeing your own trauma, and the opportunity that it offers, like where the, you know, where the path forward is, and, you know, being able to have it uh, transition it from being the victimization to uh, an initiation. And we, I, I talk about pieces of my own story through the lens of the Egyptian myth of ISIS and Osiris. And mythology, among many things was a way that ancient people communicated their sciences. So in the Egyptian myth of Isis and Osiris are numbers of the Earth's processional cycle. And there's there are other major myths from other cultures that have the same numbers. And so we know that this was a way they communicated the cosmology which they understood well how the stars moved uh, cyclically. And in the myth of Isis and Osiris, Osiris was the king of Egypt and his brother set was angry and jealous and wanted to be King and set tricked Osiris into laying down in a bejeweled coffin, had his 72 soldiers, nail it shut and carry him to the Nile river and send him downstream to his death. Osiris's wife, Isis found out about this. She retrieved his body, took him back to a cave and breathed new life into him set found out about this and was furious. And he tracked down Osiris, chopped his body into pieces and scattered them down the Nile. Isis went and retrieved all the pieces, took him back to the cave, she found everything except for his phallus. And for that, she made a new one. She brought him back to life long enough to conceive their divine child Horus. And then Osiris went on to be king of the underworld, which for the Egyptians was where all life came from, and where all treasures were found. And for most of the people, if you imagine yourself being in that story, everybody probably thought Osiris's destiny was to be the king of Egypt, but his true destiny was to be the king of the underworld. And he literally had to come apart to come back together in a new way. And we use dismemberment metaphors in our language all the time. We say we're falling apart, we can't get it together. Our hearts are broken, our lives are shattered. We'd give our left arm for something that we really want and so and when you've had trauma and especially severe trauma you can't be the same person that you were before the trauma it's an opportunity to come together in a new way and it's not that that's easy but just but relating to the story is very soothing and One of the easiest ways to understand further how mythology talks about our anatomy is through Western astrology, the ventricles in our brain that make cerebral spinal fluid look just like the ram's horns that represent Aries and in astrology Aries rules the head and I have for those watching on video. This is a compilation of MRI images that give you a 3d picture of what the ventricles of the brain look like. And it looks very much like the ram's horns that represent Aries, and the way our hyoid bone and our throat sits on top of our larynxes looks just like the symbol for Taurus, and Taurus rules the throat. And our aortic arches are the same shape as the symbol for Leo, and Leo rules the heart. And so it works this way the whole way through the body, and there are mechanisms and structures within the cells that mimic the constellations, too. Uh, adenosine triphosphate that makes energy for our muscle contractions and for our cells for all cellular activity is, uh, looks like the Aries constellation. And so we can really uh, very prescriptively look at story in association with diagnosis. And, and this works across other cultures as well, the way our brainstem uh, and cerebellum are together uh, the underside of our brain looks like Ganesh and the roots of our trigeminal nerves are the eyes and the, the brain stems the trunk and the cerebellum or the ears Ganesh is an elephant headed uh, deity and our the biblical story of the uh, temple of the Ark of the Covenant describes cranial anatomy in quite a bit of detail. And the Egyptian myth of the Apis Osiris bull describes laryngeal anatomy in quite a bit of detail. And so you can really use stories to one, dig into the stress and two, I've turned this into a form of energy medicine and I use it as a form of guided imagery as well. And you can really, uh, I, I taught a group of clinicians and, uh, health professionals this year and, uh, they took what I taught them and have been doing even more amazing things. But when you go through the, uh, like if you're gonna visualize the bowl in your throat, you can visualize what's happening with it and what it needs and really heal your trauma at such a deep level without getting re-traumatized in the process.
0: Yeah, th- this is fascinating to me, Melanie. And I, I am a proponent of the idea of we are the stories that we tell ourselves. And, and and thus, if you think about the correlation between generational trauma and the way that that carries through your DNA and knowing since the birth of man, we are still carrying that same DNA and wh- whether or not you love mythology, and I personally do, I, I love that you use that limerick because it, to me, I go, I love that story so much, it's played a role in my life. And I, I think about the impact of having this conversation within yourself, allotting you the space of it's okay like you are allowed to heal, you are allowed to be better, you are allowed to grow, you are allowed to whatever that thing is. And then having the support of a proctor, because I I think that that mind-body connection starts to become more true when you're doing both simultaneously. And there's no question that in my own journey, the vast majority of my growth happened in those moments of which it was like, Ah, coercion. Like here we are, these things are happening. And I feel like change is coming. I, I'm fascinated by this. And I, I think that so many people are going to want to dive deeper into this. Before I ask you my last question, can you tell everybody where they can find you?
1: Sure. You can go to embodyyourstar.com. And that will uh, if you opt in there, it'll send you a f- vagus nerve decompression course and you can uh check that out for yourself. Uh, All of my, and all of my social, my social media is also embody your star and all of that's linked there. But if you just go to embodyyourstar.com, it'll give you everything that you need.
0: Beautiful. And, and I will say this for those listening who are like, what, I still don't get it. Go and read the download, learn about the idea of decompressing the Vegas. It will change your life. I, I promise you this only from my own personal experience and nothing else. It's not anecdotal. Melanie, my my last question for you is, what does it mean to you to be unbroken?
1: Hmm. For me to be unbroken is to really be tapped into your power and to know that what you're, to really understand the power of the creator within you. And that, no matter what happens in this world, you are so much bigger and have this deeper, like this depth of essence that um, uh, that's just truly magical in um, in Egyptian mythology, like in their creation mythology, what I think are the cardinal directions are uh, knowledge, wisdom, magic and truth. And in our society, we value knowledge, uh, wisdom, and truth very well, but we don't really have a value system for magic. And for me, being unbroken is really connecting with your magic.
0: Hmm. That's beautiful, Melanie. I love it. Could not agree more. Thank you so much for being here today and sharing this incredible story. Everyone, please go and check out Melanie's work. It's absolutely incredible. Please like, subscribe, comment, share with a friend. And until next time, my friends, be unbroken. see ya unbroken nation hope that you just got a tremendous amount of value from today's episode i want to know And I'm here to support you in doing that. Just go to thinkunbroken.com to register for a free coaching call with me and to get put on the wait list for the brand new weekly coaching program. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. ba 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 When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes.
1: Like the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com